Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. For the winter series, I've been focusing on how we can use educational standards as a reminder or as a tool for what to teach young people as they're growing up. So this podcast focuses on how we can best empower young people during those years from when their bodies start changing, those pubertal changes are happening. And it's not just the body changes, but their minds are changing, emotions, they're experiencing a variety of emotions, social aspects, their values they're trying to figure out. So because of all those changes, I'm choosing to talk about tools we can refer to to help figure out how we can best support them and teach them. So this winter, we're going over the National Health Education Standards, and this specific episode is focusing on standard number seven, which depending upon what document you refer to, will read something like this. Students will demonstrate the ability to practice health-enhancing behaviors and avoid or reduce health risks. That also includes demonstrating observable health and safety practices. To get more specific there though, we're going to focus on coping skills, including how to cope with anxiety. To help discuss this topic, I'm so happy to introduce Dr. Terry Bacow, who somehow we got connected, I think it was through Podmatch, and she seems to have such a great background on that self-management tool of handling anxiety. So before I continue, Dr. Bacow, Terry, would you like to say hi to our audience? Oh, hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here today. Would you share a little bit about your background? Sure. So I am a clinical psychologist, a therapist of private practice in New York City, and I specialize in the treatment of anxiety and related disorders. And these include mood disorders, ADHD, parenting, those kind of things. And I guess I am best known for offering a kind of therapy that has a lot of research support and really helping people with anxiety. And we call this CBT, which stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. The CBT is just really the gold standard when it comes to anxiety treatment. And in the course of my training, I also learned how to offer similar evidence-based approaches to therapy. It's kind of like alphabet soup. Now, one of the other approaches I take is dialectical behavior therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy. These are all approaches that have research support in reducing symptoms. And um, the other thing I'd like to share is that earlier in my career, I did work with children and adolescents. I trained that um, the Child and Adolescent Fear and Anxiety Program at Boston University. Mm-hmm. But 
later in my career, I shifted to working with adults. So now in my practice, I mostly see people that are 18 and over. But my expertise early with younger ones did help me write my book, which I hope to talk about in a bit. Actually, I would love for you to talk about your book. I have a copy of it right now in my hands. It's called, the title is Goodbye Anxiety, A Guided Journal for Overcoming Worry. Would you mind just briefly telling us here, and then I'm sure we're going to refer to it later on in our discussion. Sure. So this is a book for tween teenagers and young adults, pretty much anyone, um, really focusing on the topic of worry, really focusing on cognitive behavioral strategies for overcoming worry and dealing with it. And this includes journaling, which is really venting, really because it's worry time, um, and then extending to some other tools, which include identifying thought patterns and challenging them, and touching on other themes that come up when we worry, like when we avoid things, or we have certain physical sensations that come with worry, or we're really worried about the future. Those kind of topics come up in the book. And it's um, supposed to be giftable, not really hard to read. So if you look at it, it's really, um, there's exercises that you could do or not do, and it, um, there's a lot of good colors of graphics. So it's um, a good gift to give to someone who might be a little resistant. I know a lot of young people that will benefit from a book like this. I think this that's a great idea for a gift. And actually, as a former K through 12 teacher, when a child experienced some form of trauma, I'm thinking of a, a student whose father had um, had a major cardiac arrest as he was coming home and passed on, that it was a, a simple thing that I gave her a journal and she wasn't even my student, but that helped her, her writing her thoughts. And this seems more guided for writing thoughts. So thank you for for sharing that, even that little blurb about your book. And we'll go back to it when we can in our discussion today. I'm curious, you had mentioned before we started recording that you have a partial hearing impairment. Does that come up in your book? That's a great question. So certainly um, sometimes, but I have to say overall not really. One of the challenges has been providing telehealth. You know, when we shifted to virtual therapy, I had to figure out what platform to use. And I noticed that Zoom was not enabled for caption. So then I had to figure out what would be a good platform. And I discovered that Google Meet, yay Google, Google Meet, you could turn the captions on. And that was really helpful to me when I had to begin doing telemedicine. Okay. In which those of you listening in, we are recording this through Zoom and the what we're, I'm going to do is have the video recording as much as I can on my YouTube channel in which that has closed captioning. So if you would like to watch it, you are free to do that. So before we go any further, Terry, I wanna ask the question of, would you define anxiety for us? And I understand it's not gonna be this concrete, short little thing, but what would you say if somebody asked you, well, what is anxiety? Because you have it in the title of your book, Goodbye Anxiety. Yes, yes, yes. So the first thing I would do is distinguish between normal adaptive anxiety 
problematic anxiety. So normal anxiety is a really naturally occurring human emotion that comes up when we're nervous or scared or worried and it's characterized by intrusive thoughts and sometimes physical sensations in the body and it's really representative of a perceived threat or a concern. So everyone has anxiety, we all do, and it actually keeps us safe because if a car is coming at you, you best get out of the way. Mm-hmm. So I think that anxiety, when it's proportional, is adaptive. But sometimes it could be out of proportion. Sometimes our anxiety could be a little bit of an overreaction, but maybe we perceive danger, but danger isn't present. So if you're, at, if you're really nervous about going to a party, for example, or having a conversation, that is understandable, um, but the party is not going to hurt you, and the conversation is not going to hurt you. So I think that anxiety combats when we think about problematic anxiety, you know, the kind that's disruptive and upsetting, I like to define it as an overestimation of the likelihood of danger and an underestimation of our ability to cope. And I have to say, I love that you use the term cope because that is something we teach in the K through 12 setting. How do we cope with a situation? I wonder, why did you choose to focus on this topic for your book? Great question. Part of it was that I was approached to write the book at the start of the pandemic. Oh. And the levels of stress and anxiety were just skyrocketed. But even before the pandemic, anxiety is just a highly, highly prevalent condition. 40 million Americans experience anxiety. That's almost a third of the the population. And um, a lot of teenagers do as well. And in fact, what the science has shown is that anxiety tends to really take off between the ages of 12 and 17, that almost one third of adolescents between the ages of 13 and 18 have a clinical anxiety disorder. And this means that anxiety is the number one condition that is being diagnosed by psychologists and psychiatrists and other professionals. It is really prevalent and common. So I thought there was a need that this book could help, especially with the pandemic, when folks weren't really going out. To have a self-help book seemed to be a good tool. It's interesting that you bring up adolescence because when I refer to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, they note that young people can have symptoms being shown within themselves and then we can see the signs during their adolescent years, which makes sense because their brains are changing due to puberty. And then by the time they're 24, I think they have a quote, uh, a statistic of three out of four uh, diagnosis can be made before the age of 24, which if our brain is fully developed at 25, that would make sense that we can potentially identify it during those younger years. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, adolescents really can't go on until really the end of college. Right. And young people are really having a mental health crisis right now. In fact, the Surgeon General declared it a youth mental health 
conflicted, and that the other that had to do with the pandemic, and that the other had to do with the culture that we're in, which is a culture of perfection, that you have to be the best, that you have to be better than others. And social media really sort of exaggerate the public nature of performance. And I have nothing against social media, but I do think that in certain moments, I can um, sort of create mental health challenges and worsen them, perhaps. And I think that um, young people really, more than ever, need tools and coping strategies, as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, how would a person know if they're experiencing anxiety? Are there common symptoms I would feel or experience? Yes. So there tend to be physical symptoms as well as mental ones. So the physical symptoms would include physiological sensations in the body, such as a racing heart, shortness of breath, butterflies in the stomach, muscle tension. Um, some people get panic attacks. Some people just feel really uncomfortable. And this um, is true of a wide variety of anxiety disorders. You could have physical sensations as part of social phobia, generalized anxiety, OCD. And then there's the mental symptoms would tend to be rumination, which is a fancy way of saying obsessive thinking, you know, when the mind is spinning, when you're worrying and that and you can't let go of it, when you, when you have a kind of intrusive thought and you're finding those hard to control, that would be a mental symptom, an indicator that you have anxiety. And I think that a good way to kind of tell if it's at the level that you should seek help would be if the anxiety is either or, or of these two things, interfering in your life and distressing for you. So distressing for me, it would mean it really bothers you. It's really upsetting to you that you have this anxiety. It's really uncomfortable. And then interfering would be if it starts really messing up your life, you know, if it's affecting your sleep or you're canceling plans or you um, feel like you can't function as well that would be a sign that maybe you have a more clinical level of anxiety and that seeking help would be a good move. So I was going to ask when people should start seeking help. If I'm a young person listening in and I'm like, that's me, that's how I'm feeling, who should I go to? That's a great question. I mean, Ultimately, what I would love to see as an outcome would be the young person eventually seeing a therapist. But how can a young person make that happen? I think that that person would need to confide in a family member or a teacher or maybe even a friend, a trusted friend, or someone that cares about them to really confide, to not hold back, and to express, I am having a hard time, maybe even a guidance counselor or um, any kind of, if you're at college, going to sex services, for example, would be a good move. But if you're younger, you're going to have to confide in an adult, and that adult will hopefully be really sensitive and help you get to the therapist or find other resources. For the health teachers that are listening in, I need you to note how important our role is that when we have a health class and we create a comfortable environment, that's an opportunity for students to come to us 
you know, not in front of the whole class, but one-on-one -on -one to express a concern because you're making me think of the numerous students that would come to me in my past to say, this is going on. And my role is to get them to the next step. I am not trained in therapy. I'm an educator. So my role was to get them to the guidance counselor, the school social worker, the school counselor. So that's a reminder for both health teachers, also parents and caregivers, use the support services at your child's school. And young people listening in, check out those services to see if they're available in your school. And if you connect with a teacher, hopefully you have at least one adult that you can trust that you can connect with, go to that person and see how they can get you to the next person because you're important. You're on this planet for a reason and we'd like you to figure out what that reason is. So what health practices do you recommend Terry, that people follow if they experience anxiety? Okay, so the number one health factor that I mentioned would be to try to seek professional help. And I know that's tricky. We just had a conversation about how to get there. So in the back of my book, I have a resource section where I list I the websites that include FAT, find a therapist search engine, where you can really go to the computer and try to find a therapist. So therapy is really the number one health factors for anxiety, particularly CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. But if you can't afford therapy or it's not accessible to you, although it is more accessible nowadays because a lot of clinicians are doing virtual telehealth, making it even more accessible. But even if this is not an option for you, I would recommend a few other strategies. One would be to talk to your physician about maybe some psychiatric medication, or um, to consider some health practices that would include getting enough sleep, making sure you got outside and you're doing exercise, making sure you're eating a reasonable diet. And now those things reduce vulnerability to what we call emotion mind. They kind of protect you from um, spiraling and, and feeling worse. And then I would also recommend um, journaling, and journaling is to just pick up a notebook or a Word document or a Google document and to start really getting those thoughts and worries out of the mind and onto paper. This could be really cathartic. It could be really such a relief to vent. And writing is really private, but even better is talking. So I would also recommend if you're not really willing to see a therapist, to not bother up your feelings, to really share them with a trusted friend, a family member, someone that could just sort of hear you out. And then one other, I think, um, good strategy, especially for young people, would be, and I can't really back any particular app up, but there are a lot of apps out there that can be helpful. So for example, there's a lot of mindfulness and meditation apps that a lot of folks are using these days, such as Calm, and smiling mind, I could I could name a few. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how great they are, but I think that an app could be a really nice sort of quick form of relief. And um, there's some really good CBT apps that are out there that are pretty good. And I have those on my website. I have a list of them, of different apps that um, teenagers and young people might find useful.
I found Healthy Minds as an app. It's a free app. And I thought that was really interesting that they chose it to be free. Yes, I mean, some apps you have to pay for and some are free. And you, usually they let you try it out before you have to buy it. Mm -hmm. But I think that apps, we just have to be really stuck that lots of folks use smartphones and that an app can be a gateway to getting some support. I love the ideas, everything that you said. I also want to remind people that are listening in that if you are hearing from someone who confides in you, if you're not trained in therapy and you're hearing something that is dangerous for the individual, please go seek additional support. Get them to a person who is trained like Terry here, Dr. Bacow, because we want this person to get the best support they can. Which leads me to the question of what are different strategies and techniques for parents and other caregivers, including teachers, to, for talking to young people about anxiety? So I think the first most important piece is to reduce stigma. If someone approaches you, you're a parent or a caregiver or an educator, and a student approaches you and really have a hard time with your child, or, to really kind of stop what you're doing, to listen and to reduce stigma. The way to do that would be to um, reserve judgment, to make sure that you take a non-judgmental stance and that you become an active listener. And sometimes it could be helpful if you feel comfortable to share a personal story as an adult about a time that you were anxious or that you experienced anxiety and how you got through it. And I think that you don't want to make it about you. You don't want to like take over and say, well, I was your age, but you can really quickly share a story as a means of, I understand, I got what you're going through. I have experienced that myself. This is really common to really emphasize how common it is and how many people are struggling and to um, make sure that people know not to power through it, but to really kind of seek out some help, whether that's in the form of a book or a therapy or an app, and to really ask the child, a teenager, a student, what do you need? How could I be helpful? And to maybe even make some suggestions, but kind of make it a collaborative conversation. I wanna connect, because you reminded me of something that I found in your book. You referred to sex education in your book because the puberty that's affiliated with sex education. Can I ask why you you did that? Because I know some parents feel anxiety, kind of everyday anxiety about talking to their children, but you referred to it in your book. It's like one simple thing. May I ask why? Yeah, yeah. So when I was writing the book, I was really trying to figure out what topics are relevant to this generation, the readers and the audience. And I think that it's an understatement to say that sex is on the mind of um, teenagers and up, you know, that this is a really important topic and that is something that's stressful. I think a lot of folks 
stress about it. They stress about, you know, when should I start doing it? Consent, um, relationships, are they reciprocal or they're not? Does somebody like me? I mean, there's so many questions and worries that I think teenagers have. And incidentally, when I was trying to create writing prompts and journal prompts, I wanted them to be catchy. So a lot of the titles of the writing prompts reference songs and popular culture and TV shows. And I just happened to be a fan of the TV show Sex Education, which is just a wonderful show. So I may or may not have borrowed um, a kind of tongue-in-cheek reference Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. People are thinking about this stuff when they're younger and older. This, this, okay, what do I do in this relationship? How do I ask for consent? Do they like me? Do they not like me? What do I like? That kind of thing, which can, that can create a form of anxiety. Um, So I really appreciate that you explain that and you put it into your book. Thank you. Now, if there's a young person listening in today, what advice do you have for them overall? I think that young people really have sort of a sense when they're struggling that they are the only one. I'm really the only one. Everyone else has it all together. I am a hot mess. So the advice that I really would like to give young people is, you are not alone. A lot of people pretend to have it all together. They really don't. Everyone struggles with the same doubts and fears. Um, mental health is health. And a lot of everyone is going through something. Everyone is some degree or another. So don't be fooled by a highlight reel on social media or someone who seems to be popular or wealthy or because everyone has a hard time. And so I just really want to emphasize that you're not alone, that everyone struggles and that you should have compassion for yourself and patience with yourself and to really focus on what you can control. You know, to ask yourself, what can I do about this problem? To really adopt a solution-focused, action-oriented stance because this can really reverse the sense of powerlessness, feeling powerless and helpless. Um, And so I think that's really important and that it's really sort of the heart of what CBT does. You reminded me that when I was a child, I used to, we had a swing set in the backyard and I would swing on one of the, the chairs and I would daydream and I, never shared that with anyone because I thought, oh, that was weird. I would be the only one, but that's not true. Like you had said, if you're feeling something kind of like when you're feeling stressed and you might leave your, your house, your apartment, and you're like, sometimes when you're super duperly distressed, you're like, wait, did I unplug the toaster oven? Did I turn this off? And that's, quote unquote, normal. So you're not alone. And even if you have a diagnosis of something, you're not alone. hundred percent. And I myself, when I was younger, I was really shy. And I probably had a touch of social anxiety. And I really felt isolated. I really felt I was the only one 
who is going through it. I think everyone else was just perfect. And I think that's just a misconception that we have. And it's really um, unfortunate. But I also think that today's generation is much better about talking about mental health, identifying it, seeking help. I think it's been a really positive trend towards really reducing the stigma. And sometimes celebrities can help. You know, when celebrities come out with um, a song or an issue where they make a YouTube video, it's really massively helpful. And in fact, one of the songs I reference in my book is Ariana Grande. She has a song about, I so overcomplicate, I need to medicate. I think that it's just a great song lyric. And I think that it's just really helpful when we talk about it and we share and we can be transparent and more accepting. That's, that's neat. You're making me think of a student I just spoke with about when we teach, how can we use social media in a positive way and to go see like a famous person that, cause some people think they're perfect and it's like, no, everybody has their own challenges. So that's perfect that you said that. Can I ask if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? But my website is a great way. Um, it's drdrterrybackout.com. And it has my contact information. It has my email address and my number, which people can use to text if they'd like to get in touch. And then there's also Instagram. So I know for all of my discussion of social media, I do try to make it a positive present. So I have an Instagram account that just at Dr. Terry Becker, and I post a lot of content about anxiety, and I offer a lot of advice based on evidence-based treatment. Wonderful. And I'm going to make sure we have links for those in today's description, because I want people to be able to check in with you. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, well, I mean, I can't help but encourage my book just one more time because I really am proud of it and I really think it's quite helpful. And I think that it's also really readable and accessible. It's not intimidating. It has pictures, some really pretty artwork, and it has both writing exercise and just more like thinking exercise. Like you don't even need to do anything. Just do the thought experiment. Think about this question. And the other part of the book that I'm really proud of is that I have for a number of different anxiety topics, um, affirmation or coping statement. A coping statement is um, sort of like a cheerleading statement. It's not overly positive. This is not toxic positivity. This is more a balanced kind of encouraging pep talk that you could give to yourself. For example, this is rough, but I can handle it. That would be an example of a coping statement. And it's a good thing to have when you're stressed out, when you're anxious. So a lot of the third section offers sample to leading a coping statement. And it's, it's a great quick kind of shortcut to anxiety management. Thank you for explaining more of what's in your book. I know as soon as I saw it, when I got it in the mail, I was drawn because even the color of the book, it's calming. It's coming. I know there's some like a, a yellowish green for the title, but then there's this like a softer 
like a turquoise. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a wonderful book. And then I opened it up and I was like, wow, I want to start writing. I haven't because I wanted to talk with you first, but it's it looks like a wonderful book. And I love that it's based on a theoretical concept or a theoretical therapy, the cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, by the way, the book was originally supposed to be purple. Oh. I have nothing against purple, but I was not going to have it be purple. No offense to the color, but I, I'm really happy with <laughs> um, the turquoise, which is a really common color, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Bacow. And I appreciate the com- conversation. For our listeners, if you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Bacow, Terry, please do check out her website. The links are going to be in today's description. Um, thanks so much for having me. I hope everybody has a wonderful season ahead. And it was great to be a guest. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And it's great to be connected with you. And again, to our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. If you want to connect with me, go to pubertyprof.com or send me an email at pubertyprof at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you if you have questions or comments. So thanks for listening in today. And I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.